Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show, where we celebrate every single day the special people that are part of this amazing state and and who are working so hard to either make it a better place to live, work, and play, or bring a little character to it so we can have some fun in our lives. I, I wanted to share with you on this first week of the new year um, some really, really great shows. Yesterday, for a matter of fact, I had James Grametta. And James um, is from from coast of Mississippi, and someone uh, he joined me, and we told his story about his digital uh, media efforts. Um, uh, next Monday, uh, Tammy Franks joins me, uh, or maybe it's Tuesday. I think maybe Tuesday. She's the VP of Success for Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. Uh, you'll enjoy that conversation. And then this week, I also had a great conversation with Jamie Miller, the CEO of the Business Council. If you don't know about the Business Council, don't know what it is, want to learn more, want to understand why it's important to have a strong Business Council in a region like ours, I'm privileged to have been part of starting that organization. Uh, you should listen to that conversation with Jamie. He's been on the ground for a little over a year now and doing a fantastic job. Really, really good job. Okay, so now let's shift gears and move over to my friend, uh, Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. We visit with him every Friday. It's going to be a fun day today because we can talk about the Saints winning. It may be a big, big, big story about too much, too little, too late, but we're going to kind of break it all down for you and see what the latest is in Jeff's world. How you doing, Jeff? Ricky, I'm doing good. Happy New Year. I think we can still say that, even though we're yeah. kind of fur- further into the new year. For sure, man, for sure. You know, look, I'm curious. Do you, when you reflect on last year, what do you think? And when you reflect on the new year, do you have New Year's resolutions? How, how do you approach the new year? Yeah, no, I definitely do. I mean, I'm going to try and get my life back <laughs> on uh, on this uh, new year. We've talked a lot about the, the book that I've been working on, and we're putting that to bed. So uh, it's going to give me a chance to reflect on that extraordinary experience and enjoy the fruits of that labor. And then... Uh, you know, try and get uh, get some travel in. I haven't traveled in about a year and a half, and I'm itching to go. So I'm trying to make plans, and that's exciting for me. Yeah, we're we're taking a family to to uh, Yellowstone this year. The entire family. Nice. And I'm looking forward to that. We love we love that part of the country, and we're planning a trip to Croatia in a couple of years to bring everybody to Croatia. So I'm I'm looking for. I, I love to travel, and we don't do enough of it. But we have grandkids, and we're the we're the um, and bringing their kids here anytime they want to. And we, we love having them here. And we define our success in life doing that. You know, you talked about the book, and I know it's, I mean, again, a documentary hopefully will be published just about the writing process and what you guys went through to write the Steve Gleason book. But as you reflect back, and I was there too, and you and I have chatted about this before, being in the Superdome in 2006, when uh, we played Atlanta, the the whole atmosphere and it was the 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 dome was literally pulsating, and when Steve Gleason blocked that punt, I mean, obviously, there's no way for you to have realized or known at the time or even thought at the time that it would all kind of play out the way it did. But to look back to 2006 and where you are now, writing that book with Steve Gleason, gosh, man, it's a 
it's been a hell of a road, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, we, we talk uh, in the Gleason book about the impact of that now, uh, you know, all these years later. And he's got a great anecdote in there about another another friend of his that uh, was was uh, stricken with ALS. And uh, his name's Brian Jensen, I believe. And Brian told Steve that if he didn't block that punt, that uh, Brian would not be here now because Steve obviously – having the notoriety from that one single play, it's one recognized as one of the greatest plays in NFL history. Uh, that notoriety helped him gain the platform that he did with his journey with ALS. And so it allowed him to reach way, way more people uh, in his now mission to kind of improve the lives of people with ALS. And it allowed him to reach Brian. Uh, and now Brian is living with it and, and is inspired by Steve's fight. So, if Steve doesn't make that play, who knows how the rest of history is written, uh, not only for the Saints, but certainly for Steve and for everyone around the world being um, being impacted by Steve uh, and his and his incredible foundation, Team Gleason, that's changing lives for people that are trying to live with this disease. Isn't it interesting how a chain of events can make someone so much more relevant and so much more able to literally impact the world. You know, I, I shared, I mentioned Jamie Miller, who's the CEO for the Gulf Coast Business Council. I had a great um, conversation with him this week. And I shared a quote from Mary Tyler Moore, you know, the actress Mary Tyler Moore, in the little history book that I get every morning. It was uh, celebrating her birthday back in 1936. Um, but she said this along the way. She said, pain nourishes courage. You can't be brave if you've only had wonderful things happen to you. Isn't that a great quote? And it really, yeah. it really, well, you know what? It, it tells our story as it relates to something like Hurricane Katrina and how we've found resilience in the face of that terrible disaster. It certainly tells Steve's story. Pain nourished his courage. And man, is he a courageous dude. Yeah, you know, it's funny, um, or maybe, maybe more appropriate, interesting uh, in talking to Steve about pain because, uh, you know, he talks a lot about when he played. He played through so much pain because of his role on special teams, those the violent nature of covering kickoffs and covering punts, high-speed collisions, and he documents all the injuries that he played through. And he said he got to a point in his career where he learned to embrace pain and actually kind of move toward it. And that's what he's done uh, with ALS. Instead of, you know, we're, we're fight or flight type of, of creatures, we tend to flee adversity or challenges or fear. And uh, he has learned to run toward it, and including pain, which he obviously lives with a lot. But um, it, it's fascinating the mindset that that takes uh, to be able to flip that because it's, your natural instinct is to run away from it. He's learned to run toward it, and I think that takes a, an evolution of your mindset over a long period of time. And what a great learning within the context of his life and his actions leading by example. What a great learning to be able to capture the essence of that in the book so people can can read it. Now, look, man, the interesting thing, and live by it, I might add, the interesting thing about mine and your career is that, career is that we've had the opportunity to uh, cross paths with many people who've written books. So people have you know, sent you manuscripts. I've, they've sent me manuscripts before, and I've read them, and I've given my feedback about them. 
And, you know, some books I was like incredibly impressed. Others I was impressed with the fact that they took the time to write that, you know, not sure if it would be a commercial success, but still a, a touching book and whatever. With Steve's book, as you got input from others, you know, whether it be the publishers, whether it be the editors, whether it be others that were involved in sort of giving you feedback during the writing process, I bet it felt different than when a friend passed you a manuscript. I bet for them when they read it, they understand there's something larger than life in this book. There's something that's going to touch a lot of people. And um, did they appreciate it that they were part of something that they were providing feedback for that was very significant? Oh, yeah, no question about it. I mean, I think the, the editors at Knopf, the publishing house in New York, recognized right away the impact this book could have and Steve's extraordinary life. Uh, you know, he had an he had an incredible life before he was diagnosed with this terminal disease, and then to take it on the way he has. I mean, we're coming up uh, tomorrow. Well, actually, Friday, the day that we that we air this, will be his um, 13 year anniversary of of being diagnosed with ALS, January 5th, 2011. So uh, there aren't a lot of of people that have uh, lived as long as he has. With this disease, the normal diagnosis is two to three years, sometimes five years, depending on the progression rate. Uh, the fact that he's chosen to do this and to live not only for his family uh, and his friends, but also for all the other people that have uh, been stricken with this disease, I, I think he feels like he's a lighthouse, you know, for them, a beacon uh, in their lives. And um, yeah, it's pretty extraordinary. And I think they understood that just the writing of the book itself. Um, you know, Steve writes with his eyes through using eye tracking technology. It's really incredible technology. Um, that's been an extraordinary challenge, uh, given his progression of his disease. So, uh, yes, I think everyone recognized this and, and we all understand it's, it's going to be probably one of the high points of our lives in the, in the publishing industry. Well, I won't let the cat out of the bag, but you've shared with me some of the folks that have provided some some uh, you know witness to the book and they are very notable people and it's going to be very interesting to see how widely received this book is wow okay so uh, here we are <laughs> the saints won the game against tampa bay in a very deciding way in every phase of the game they 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 look good and you know the 13 points as as you said many times before it was kind of trash points at the end of the day saints dominated that game why don't we do this since we're at the end of the segment together when we get back on the other side we'll pick it up right there and talk about you know what's going on is it too little too late i mean one more game one if they had just not blown one game <laughs> the whole situation would be so different now but they're beginning to put it back together again we've got a we've got a, a starting quarterback that finally actually is seemingly well and he's playing like he's well. So is that more what we should expect from Derek Carr, not what we saw at the beginning of the season? We're going to talk about all that with Jeff here when we get back on the other side. We'll see you after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. Citizens Bank's doing some great work in the community, and I'm thrilled to have them as a primary sponsor of uh, the Ricky Matthews Show. We have Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times-Picayune. He's a leader in the market, of uh, the, especially as it relates to the Saints, but he's an extraordinary writer and someone that I have a, a great relationship with and have a lot of respect for. When we went to break, we are talking about Saints are 8-8. Eight eight. They won last the last game. It may be too little too late. I've read everything you guys have written. I mean, you guys are cranking out the content on NOLA.com. But, you know, how do you talk about it now? Well, I think you made a good point. I mean, is it going to be too little, too late? I mean, I have to say, though, they've kept themselves alive to the last weekend. And that's been a common theme, I'd say, of this entire tenure of the Mickey Loomis kind of era. You have to give the organization credit. They haven't played very many meaningless games. I mean, they've managed to stay competitive. Uh, you know, they don't play those games where you're playing out the string to a half-empty stadium like so many teams around the league are. Uh, so I guess that's something, right, Ricky? I mean, they've main, yeah. maintained relevance. Now, it helps that you're in the worst division in football. I mean, obviously, they, the Saints would be out of it in any other division. So it, it, you, know, you have to kind of weigh those two things. You know, what are we talking about here? They, they are playing better. They've won three of their last four. They have a chance to win four of their last five, but that competition hasn't been that great. I thought, I thought their game Sunday was probably the best all-around game they played, but also was there and saw in, in Tampa Bay just looked like they were sleepwalking in the game. It was just amazing to me with so much on the line for them. And I think it's a very bad sign for them. I mean, I, I think they will win this week because they're playing the worst team in the league. But they put themselves in a very precarious position, Tampa Bay did. And I think that's a little bit of an indictment on their on their coaching staff that they would be a no-show like that. Now, having said that, the Saints played extremely well, and they did exactly what they needed to do in that game. They got a lead early, put the pressure on Tampa, and in turn played with confidence because they had a lead. They could stay balanced. Uh, they could they could really get after them defensively. I thought they followed their game plan well, and I thought it was a good game plan on both sides of the ball. So that's kind of the potential we see in this team, and we've seen all year long. Now, can they duplicate it? You know, that's the key. I mean, they've they've had some games like this in the past, and then they 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 don't duplicate it the next week. So that's what I'm going to be watching. I, I expect them to play well this week. They know they've got a lot on the line against Atlanta. Uh, they got to keep themselves in it. But it might be all for naught, unfortunately. Is there any motivation for Carolina in this game? Sure. I mean, there, there's always going to be motivation for guys playing for jobs. Uh, I think they've got a puncher's chance because I think Tampa, by losing the way they did, put a lot of pressure on themselves to where if they somehow, you know, something goes awry early, Ricky, a, a fumble punt or, you know, just something going against you and all of a sudden you're down 7 nothing. That that pressure will in, invert on top of uh, Tampa, and yeah, I've seen it happen. It happens all the time where a team should look at the Philadelphia Eagles last week had that game in, in control at home against the Arizona Cardinals, who have nothing to play for, and all it takes is a flip, and you feel that momentum in a stadium, and the players feel it, and uh, so you just don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, I do think like it's going to be a short stay for whoever gets in the playoffs because they're probably going to play either the Eagles. It's almost a certainty it's going to be the Cowboys or the Eagles. Whoever, uh, if the Saints get in, they're going to play one of those two teams, and uh, I think I think it'll be one and done. So 
I tell you what, though, um, and we're kind of kind of um, reflecting a little bit on this past game, but um, that hit on Baker Mayfield was very significant. And I know they said that he didn't have any broken ribs, but man, I've I've told you before, I had I've had a couple of situations in the boat where I hit my ribs on the gunnel. And man, it took me years to get over it because I, I I tore some cartilage and whatever. I know they all inject in there and try to limit the pain or whatever. But it's not just the, it's not just the ribs; it's what's under the ribs and it's the muscles around it. Um, you could tell he was really hurting. Yeah, he was off in that game. He did not play well. Uh, you know, a couple of bad throws uh, led to the Alante Taylor pick. He underthrew that ball. That was before he got hurt. Uh, they just seemed completely off to me in that game. I think they dropped about four passes in the first half that they normally would catch. Uh, the defense was not firing off the ball in the front in the front uh, seven. And the Saints dominated both lines of scrimmage. I wrote about this. I mean, you know, that was something Dennis Allen challenged his team. He put them in full pads last week and challenged them to win the battle of the trenches, and they completely dominated in that area. And I think that was a good example, Ricky, of – you know, the opposite side of the coin, the Saints were on where the, the part where I've talked about in the past where, uh, you know, the other team's playing catch up and you're just managing the, the lead. That's what the Saints were doing in that game. They were just managing the lead. Tampa Bay was never going to win that game ever. So it, it was just exactly what the opposite of what the Saints have been doing in some of these big games where they're trying to play catch up. It looks like, oh, you're only one score down. Well, you're, you're really not. You're really not in it. They're letting you move the ball and score. And that's, that's what the Saints did to the Bucs. And, and you got to, you, and coming back to Baker Mayfield for a second, one of the comment about him, whatever that injury is, he's taken that into the, into the Carolina yeah. game. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's probably it, going to affect him. I think so. Look, I think if Tampa, I'll be shocked if they don't come out with their A game. I mean, after they laid an egg the way they did uh, Sunday, I mean, it was across the board. They, they were their punter was terrible. You know, their coverage was terrible. Uh, you know, they they were just bad. It was shocking they were so bad. But that's also what happens in the league after you go on a long run the way they had. They'd won four in a row. You get a little fat and happy, and you're not that good to begin with. I mean, they're not an elite team. So the saints were catching by the right time. The saints were obviously desperate after losing to the Rand. That's how the league works. I, I try to tell people all the time. It's, it's a week to week league. So you can't just look at what happened last week and think, Oh, it's going to carry over. It just, there's a different game plan, different opponent. You have different matchups. You have different mindset. And we saw it in that game play out. If they played again this week, it'd be a different outcome. It wouldn't be the same. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's just how the league works. It's a, <laughs> Someone said, and maybe maybe you and I ch- chatted about this, but the Saints are consistently inconsistent. And, you know, you think about, okay, so we had a few games where they couldn't stop the run, and then suddenly they've reduced the number of run yards against them significantly. We got, you know, our offensive line, we couldn't get it right at the beginning of the year. And as you and I chatted before we started the show, um, they waited too long to deal with the Trevor, Trevor Penning situation. And since then, though, even with other injuries, they've done a fairly good job of protecting Derek Carr. I mean, arguably, Derek Carr was not 100% after the first first or second game because he's getting accosted every play. And then he gets a concussion and, you know, hurts his shoulder and, and another concussion. I mean, this guy was beat up. I mean, the Derek Carr that we saw the last two or three weeks – it's probably more like the Derek Carr we should we should have had to begin with, but we just we couldn't keep him healthy. 
Yeah, he's he's playing much better. I think he's more confident. He's got more time because the offensive line is kind of gelled. Uh, it, it helps the competition. I hate, I hate to bring that up all the time, but it does help, you know, to play. When they played the Rams, it didn't look so good, you know. So, um, but I think uh, the other thing I think is a factor here is, you know, he's spreading the ball around. And, and I'm writing about this this week. This might be a little controversial, but like, I think not having Mike Thomas has helped him, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think he's not worried about force feeding the ball to Mike T. I think he's just throwing to whoever's open. And he spread the ball around uh, every. He's hit ten receivers two of the last three games, uh, and that I think's been a benefit to them. They're, they're not worried about one player getting the ball; they're just throwing to whoever's open. You're, there's not one player that he's. I mean, obviously Chris Olave is the number one receiver, but I think that's been a, a relief for him to not have to worry about getting the ball to one player, and it's it's certainly paying off. Well, look, uh, I get it, man, because he had you know look. <laughs> He's this fragile player that you got to feed his ego and you got to deal with sort of what, what's his mentality in the moment and he expects to get the ball and all those weird dynamics. Maybe not having those dynamics is helpful. I mean, no at, question. The end, at the end of the day. And then you look at Juwan Johnson, who, who, who admitted he was off. And then he comes into this. Look, I've seen it on on NFL Network, ESPN. They've all featured that catch where his hands came into the ball to grasp the ball on the second half of the ball. I mean, this that was an you know that was not just a great catch, but a strong catch. I mean, his hands had to stop that ball after the majority of the ball had already passed his hand. Jeff, that was that was that was really really strong, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of the best catches I've seen uh, certainly in a long time, and and it pays off all the extra work he does. If you see Jawan Johnson before a game, he. He has this routine. He juggles tennis balls using hand exercises, and that all came into play there on that play. Now, I'll say this, too. I, I say this all the time, especially to the old-school players that didn't have the benefit of these gloves that these players wear now. Oh, right. I mean, these, these gloves, it's almost impossible. I don't see how you drop a ball with them, Ricky. I mean, they're, they have like a tacky surface to them. It, it's almost, and I know the league likes it because, let's face it, they make catches like that. It helps them make a catch like that, and that's great TV. So, yeah. But but the old school guys never got the benefit of those kind of gloves. But that was an incredible catch, incredible body control to not break his neck uh, the way he, the way he <laughs> right. landed. Right. Uh, and in right. the game, we were we were watching it from the press box, and everyone was like, "Did, did he catch that?" I mean, it was such an extraordinary uh, horizontal play, and it was a huge play at the time because the Saints were backed up on their own goal line. Well, we'll come back on the other side with Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune, and we'll talk about the emergence of Jonathan Abram. What a great story that is. And uh, we got some key injuries, and we want to talk about that. But uh, also curious about the mood around Saints camp this week. Um, I mean, it seems like a pretty darn focused team. When we get back on the other side, we'll get Jeff's perspective on that. We'll see you after this. and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show with my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune, and we're talking all about the Saints. Um, we'll talk about key issues, key injuries and all that coming up. We'll talk about the mood at the training camp at, at, defense, at the, at the uh, Saints facility. 
Um, but Jonathan Abram, what a great story. I mean, he played a great game, didn't he, friend? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Mississippi State guy, you know, and he, he has bided his time. He's got very little playing time. Uh, this is a former first-round draft pick, so, you know, he had to kind of humble himself to play this role. And then when he had a chance to step up, I mean, look what he did. I mean, he had two of the biggest plays in the game. I thought that fumble that he forced was the biggest play in the game because Tampa – had some life there. They'd scored. They were driving the field. I mean, they were gashing the Saints on that drive. And then all of a sudden, he, he knocks the ball loose, and it totally flipped the momentum in the game. And it's funny, all the Saints executives were sitting behind us, Ricky, in the press box. Sometimes you end up right next to the, the whole front office staff. And uh, the, you could hear them celebrating and slapping the table, uh, you know, relief for them. Uh, when that play was made by Jonathan Abram. I think it also validates, you know, the, the, the roster churn that they've done at the bottom of the roster because inevitably at this time of year, you're going to end up having to lean on these backup players and they've got to come in and come through for you. And they did in that game. There were a lot of big-time plays for the Saints by backups, uh, guys that w- weren't in key roles earlier this year. Hey, one of the interesting tidbits about, about Abram is um, we, all, we all came to appreciate during the Johnny Manziel whatever that was moment uh, that he didn't take, he didn't put any time in preparation. So when he was on his iPad or whatever they, they used to track, um, he, there was no track time for him. He just didn't do any preparation and it was a major problem. Conversely, Jonathan Abram, I've heard, now you probably know the real story, but I've heard that he is doing prep time more than anybody. So he's a, he's very focused and was looking forward to the opportunity to play. And he's a very positive player that had, uh, you know, it was rah rah and really trying to keep the team up, even though he wasn't playing. What, what's what's the story on him? Yeah, no, that's a great observation, and it's part of being a pro. I mean, it's difficult to go home and study like you're going to play a lot and then not play week after week. Uh, that takes a lot of discipline. And certainly talking to Dennis Allen, that's one of the things he respects the most about him. And you can tell he's a popular player. You can just see the way his teammates, you know, congregate around him in the locker room. Uh, They engage with him all the time. I mean, he's a guy that's energetic on the sidelines during games. And I think all that's infectious. And, uh, you know, we saw it play out for him in a big way in that game. I mean, the Saints had to have some big plays defensively. You know, in that series against the Bucs, it's kind of been a back and forth between who dominates defensively and creates a lot of turnovers. Earlier this year, at home, the Saints were the ones, you know, creating the tur- uh, having the turnovers, and the Bucks dominated that game. It was the exact opposite in this game, and that Jonathan Abram played a big role in that. He really, he really did. So we um, we've had we got some key injuries in this in this game. So let's go start with Alvin Kamara. What you hearing about his ankle? Well, it's not good. I mean, he wasn't even at practice on Wednesday. That's not a very good sign. I would say if there's one guy that you don't worry about practicing, it's Alvin Kamara. He knows the offense like the back of his hand. But I'll, I'll be surprised if he plays, and I think that'll that'll be fine. They have all week to prepare for it. Jamal Williams is here because of that. He carried the load earlier this year when Kamara was suspended. I think we'll see the rookie Kendra Miller fill in, and I also think be honest with you, we're going to see a lot of Taysom Hill. Um, Taysom Hill has a history uh, of, of big games against the Falcons. For whatever reason, they just do not defend him well. Now, they have a different coordinator, obviously. Ryan Nielsen, a guy very familiar with Taysom Hill. Caden Ellis, David Onyemata played with him. So so I think that will be a focus for them because if you look at the history of Taysom Hill's career, uh, he's gained more yards, scored more touchdowns, as a higher average against the Falcons than any team in the league. 
For a minute, there it seemed like they were they were dropping like flies. But what were some? We had a, a linebacker, special teams player that had that did get into rotation at linebacker, have an ACL tear, right? Yeah, Nephi Sewell, uh, who's who's really been coming on. I mean, there there's been a few younger players that quietly have started to emerge down the stretch, who I think are going to be part of the Saints' future. And Nephi Sewell is certainly one of those guys. And we talked earlier you know, about Abram. You could really see how the team rallied around Sewell as he was being carted off. I mean, he's a very popular player in the locker room. Yeah. And you can see that kind of brothers-in-arms kind of esprit de corps uh, gathering around him. I mean, it, it hits home when you lose a player like that. Yeah, that was very obvious. Uh, the national audience got to see that, and it was clear that there was some special connection with that player for sure. Um, as it relates to the defense, before we get off of that, um, you know, we talked a lot about this at the beginning of the year, but the Saints had built in a lot of um, a lot of talent, and you, you suspected if we had any any injuries that we were going to be pretty good. We're still going to be pretty good because you what you saw at defensive backs, et cetera, was was pretty strong. And you know, I would argue that with you know Lattimore, we haven't really. I know Lattimore is when he's on the team, when he's playing, he's one of the best guys on the team. I get it, um, but we have really done a good job of filling in for his loss, haven't we? Uh, well, it's the it's the deepest position on the team, cornerback. There's no question. That's why they were allowed allowed uh, Bradley Roby uh, while they cut him in camp. I mean, they, they were so deep there. They felt good about it, and it certainly played out that way. Uh, they had a great game down in Tampa. The whole secondary, I thought, played really well. They took Mike Evans and limited him, and that was the key to the game as far as the passing attack. And yet, you're right. I mean, Lattimore's not going to play this week. Mike Thomas is still out. You know, both those guys have been out since the Vikings game, and they're arguably two of their better players, and they've been able to, you know, uh, tread water along with Ryan Ramchek, who's who's now on IR, who's the best offensive lineman the Saints have. But that's what happens around the league at this time of year. You you lose guys. I mean, it's a violent game, especially older players, and that's part of having an aging roster. Frankly, is you know you have more injuries. Uh, that's what why why the the league tries to skew toward younger players in their mid twenties because once you start getting up around thirty, it's not only do you get injured more, but you recover slower. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, you uh, you've seen a lot of speculation about Lattimore. You know, is there potential for us to trade him away with this clause in his contract? What's that all about? Well, look, I mean, they just restructured him, so that would that would indicate to me there's something going on with him. But I would think it means more likely they they're going to have him around. I haven't looked at the cap ramifications of 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 that restructure. But I would imagine that means that he's part of their future. So, But it makes sense to speculate in that way because the Saints are going to be way over the cap next year again, and they've got to clear some roster. Uh, there's going to be some cap casualties again this year, and how Mickey Loomis and Kai Harley uh, navigate that is going to really determine the makeup of the roster going forward. They, part of the problem with the way the Saints have managed the cap, Ricky, is – uh, you know, they put themselves in a very difficult position by restructuring your you're pushing money into the future years. And then it be, it's not so much that it creates problems with with, you know, the roster makeup. It's it's you can't get rid of the player. You're forced to keep the player on the roster because if you let them go, all that money accelerates into that year. So there, there's a, a 
a, a cost to doing business the way the Saints have done it the last few years. Even Derek Carr, I mean, you know, you would you would expect these kind of conversations to take place once the season is over. Here we're going into the last game of the season. If we win and some other things happen, we actually might get into the playoff. I would have never thought I'd be saying that after the kind of season that we've had. But even Derek Carr is saying that he would be open to doing that. Is that is that unusual to be having that conversation going into the last game with all the all that's connected to this last game? Well, I don't think. Be honest with you, I don't think. Cars in negotiations. I think we, he just got asked about it and he just responded. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's it's not common, but on something like Marshawn Lattimore, a, a Pro Bowl type player who you know is going to be part of the team, um, I, I think that's just basically a, an accounting measure the Saints are doing in preparation for next season. So I, I don't think it's it's anything uh, unusual at all. Well, we've got a we've got a lot of in, really great individual performance that has emerged this year. I mean, obviously Rashid Shahid is one, but uh, to only get one Pro Bowl, Bowl selection, it's a little bit disappointing. But probably doesn't surprise you given the way we played this year. Yeah, no, I, I was telling my colleagues I can't think of any other player on the team that they got snubbed. I mean, maybe Demario Davis you could make a case for. He's certainly one of the top linebackers in the league and had another really good year but there just hasn't been a lot of great individual performances this year by a team and, and look it the team's eight and eight uh, it's, it's to be expected but it is striking when uh, you, you look back and you see 2019 they had 11 pro bowlers it shows you how far things have fallen off it really is. What, what's the uh hacking i cannot remember his name from minnesota the, the tight end that played so well against us Oh, T.J. Hawkinson. Yeah, yeah, he didn't make the Pro, pro Bowl. I was really surprised to see that because yeah, it he shows had, you how deep the tight end position is. It really does. It, it really does. <laughs> hey, coming back to Derek Carr for a second, um, he is fairly healthy right now, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He talked about it. I mean, he said this week he feels better than he ever has, and you know, I think that helps because he's getting better protection. He's getting the ball out quicker, and you can see it. You know, the ball's coming out of his hand quicker, and the, there's a little more rhythm to the offense. So it'll be, this is going to be an interesting game this week against the Falcons because they know each other very well. Uh, there's a lot on the line. I mean, the Falcons could still win the division, <laughs> amazingly. Why so don't we'll we see. do this? Yeah, which is amazing because they're currently 7-8, and eight, I think. And when we get on the other side, we'll, we'll talk about that game. What's what's on the line for both the Saints and the Falcons? Because nothing else matters if uh, to the loser of that game. So we'll, uh, we'll hear from Jeff Duncan after this. We'll see you after this. Matthew show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthew show. How my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune, and we're talking about the upcoming game now with uh, Atlanta Falcons. I mean, come on, we we don't like the Atlanta Falcons, and we might say we we hate the Atlanta Falcons. They're seven and eight. And they could still win the division, Jeff, the point you were about to make before we went to the break. That's amazing to me. I know. It really is. But it, it does make for a fun uh, experience. Like the atmosphere is going to be great, the Dome. And we were, we were talking about that as well. I mean, it was so good. Not only, you know, 
look, we're, we're journalists, we're objective at the games, but no one wants to go to a game to a half-empty stadium with nothing on the line and cover a game. So it's from our perspective, it's fun to have this last game have uh, some relevance and some meaning. Uh, it's going to be fun theater to sit there and watch it all play out. I asked Dennis Allen yesterday about, you know, what are you going to do? Are you gonna, y'all going to scoreboard watch? I know in the past, Sean Payton, when they had games like this, he would – have the uh, stadium officials, Kyle would probably know about this, but I mean, they would have stadium officials not play or, or show the score of the, uh, of the game that was relevant to the saints. Cause he didn't want his players being distracted in any way. And uh, Dennis Allen kind of echoed that. He said, look, you know, the first thing that has to happen for us to even have a chance is us winning. So he said, I want our guys all in there. And really, to be honest with you, even if, even if Tampa Bay wins, the saints still have a chance to get in the wild card, and those games aren't till the afternoon, so there'll still be something on the line for them. Well, it's going to be very interesting. You you mentioned the cow who plays the music in the Superdome during the Saints games. Cow, I know we don't have a window for you, but you can chime in here. Uh, you, do you have your game face on, my friend? For the Falcons, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you yeah, got a great uh, repertoire of music to play, huh? Yeah, the, you know, it's going to be an interesting week this week because I have several hockey games leading up to it. So, but I'm all in on Falcons games. I'm all in on any type of rivalry game, especially in our division of Bucks, Panthers. Everyone's all in. And like Jeff was saying, yeah, we're probably not going to show the score of the game between the Bucks and the Panthers. The only time we would show anything is if the Panthers open up a wide lead and <laughs> that that's going to be it. That, that'll be the only reason we'd ever show it. Yeah. Hey, did the Saints players have their phones on the sidelines, Jeff? No, 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 not allowed. Ah, so in, that's an interesting yeah. point. They so have it, them in the locker room, so at halftime they can check them. Yeah, but yeah. not uh, not during the game. That's, that would be may, that would be mayhem, Ricky, if they had phones on the sidelines. <laughs> Wouldn't it, man? Wouldn't it be? I mean, younger, especially in the day of social media. Hey, I mean. so uh, Jeff, what's the mood been like there this week? Oh, yeah, definitely everybody upbeat, as you would expect after a big win, the way they had it. I know there was a, a celebratory plane ride home. I mean, the locker room after the game was, uh, you know, ecstatic. And they played so well, uh, you know, in such a big game. It, it makes a lot of sense. Made for a very happy new year for the team. And, you know, look, they know everything's on the line here, but at least they've given themselves an opportunity uh, to kind of keep playing. And I, I, I will say this. I mean, uh, you know, the, the team – has had a lot of ups and downs this year, but that's never really been reflected in the locker room. I mean, you don't ever f- feel like this team, and, and I wrote about it Sunday. I mean, you don't respond the way the Saints did in that game and play that way if you're not all in on what's going on in your organization. So it's, it's a re- re- strong reflection of Dennis Allen. I know there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of people calling for his head, but internally on airline drive, that's never really been – Uh, much talk about that or any feeling about that. So the perception of the organization on the outside is completely different than what's going on inside. Do you, do you, I know you're going to be writing about this eventually, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag too soon for you because you may be still thinking it through, but don't you anticipate, I mean, I'm sure, and I hear that too, that Dennis Allen's not going anywhere. You have Dennis and Mickey and and Mrs. Benson and you, it, they like continuity. They they're not going to go out there and take. They're not going to go and create an incredible turnover scenario for this team. That's just not their way of operating. 
Um, so if Dennis Allen stays, which likely he will, do you see big changes on the offensive side? Yeah, I would expect that. Now, how that manifests itself, I don't think anybody quite knows except for the brain trust. But I think they're definitely going to change some offensive staff members out, move some people around. Uh, but that'll all play out, you know, in the weeks after the season. Um, but it would be shocking to me if they didn't make moves on the offensive side of the ball. As a matter of fact, I fully expect it. Yeah, so you think about Gruden. When Gruden was paired up with Carr, Carr had some of his better years. Be interesting, like the last three to six games, How does I wonder how that compares statistically with how Carr did when he was paired up with Gruden. Yeah, I don't know. I know uh, I'm putting together a, a little analysis of like how Carr's played the last six games and his numbers are definitely better than they were to start the season. He's like I said, he's spreading the ball around two of the last three games. He's hit 10 receivers. He didn't do that at all to start the season. Matter of fact, he yeah. had one game early in the year where they just uh, completed balls to five receivers. Uh, he's been over eight in every game the last six games. Listen, less than a minute left. Are the Saints going to go to the playoffs? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think so, Ricky. I think there's too many things that they they put themselves in a position where they need too much help. Uh, I don't expect Tampa Bay to lose that game, and I certainly don't think both Seattle, uh, you know, and Green Bay are going to lose. And games are favored in. You're, you're you're asking for three teams to lose that they're in games that they're all favored in. So th- yeah. that's a highly improbable statistic. It would be fun. It would be fun to go another week. <laughs> So, anyway, listen. Thank you, man. Your 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 excellent insight and your your connections to the team and and so on. But just we're we're really honored to have you on our show. And I uh, hope you have a great weekend. Hope you have a wonderful game covering it. Hey, if we hear Margaritaville in the third quarter, I know things are going well because they're playing that when they're ahead. That's your, that's your charge, Kyle. Make sure that you play that. A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. Media Production.